Did you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they've become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. Thank you for joining me. I am so excited today because my guest is is a woman who has uh, way too many moments for us to really get to in just an hour, but we're going to touch some of the really important, interesting, colorful ones. Her name is Bonnie Bramlett, of course. And, you, you know, you may know Bonnie from a lot of different things. For, for, for many people, it comes down to a... Uh, a collaboration she and her husband Delaney had back in the late 60s and early 1970s with Delaney and Bonnie and friends. But there's a lot more to talk about. I don't want to keep her waiting. So with no further ado, Bonnie, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. So proud to be too. <laughs> well, I'm proud. Listen, I'm totally flattered you're here. And Bonnie, before we get into stuff, there's like a little small world moment that I, I want to hit you with. I, I, I've known you now for just a few months and we've happened interestingly i was working with the the legendary dave mason on a project and he suggested yeah. i speak to you for some background because you and dave have a really interesting history we're going to get to in a second and and so as a result of that we've been talking and for those that don't know when, when dave mason um left traffic in, in the late 60s he made a, a big life decision to come to america basically just guitar in hand with not a lot else and come to the land that had produced the music that had inspired him a lot and in, in early 1960s Dave Mason arrives in California. I believe it's Graham Parsons who takes him out to the Palomino, yep. which at that point was a really famous club in the Valley where, where Delaney and Bonnie were performing. And is that where you first meet Dave, Bonnie, as you remember? No, it was, uh, I, I don't think it was the Palomino. I think it was uh, the Brass Rail. Okay, which in was the, another club the, you guys played a lot. It's in the valley. It's like, it was the rock version of the pal, you know? Well, here's what I wanted to get to really quickly. I was with Dave recently, and he had a collection of photographs. of. So anyway, long story short, Dave joins your band, and Delaney and Bonnie yeah. hit the road in the summer of 69, playing with Blind Faith, doing this incredible arena tour all around the United States. And Dave showed me some pictures he had that a fan took, and the fan put a notation on the photo album that said, Dave, Dave, I saw you with Delaney and Bonnie opening for Blind Faith in Baltimore on the night that men landed on the moon. And I told yeah. you about that, and you shared oh. something with me that blew my mind. What did, what did you do during the show that night that men landed on the moon? Well, it was the men were landing on the moon for crying out loud, and we were ha able to have these two huge screens dropped, uh, you know, in the backdrop of the band. We stopped the show, and everybody watched the landing it was so cool people were man you know and then we just kicked out the band again what can i say what an, op what an opening wild. act. Yeah, so <laughs> no, cool. that, when you told me that, I, I was incredible to think that, that that's how, because everybody always says, where were you when men landed on the moon? You were on stage, not just on stage, but you were sharing the moment. What gets me is that people still paid money to go out that night to a sh the night men were landing yeah, on the moon. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. They still wanted to go see Delaney and Bonnie. Though, you know? <laughs> No, it's incredible that you had a full house in the arena to watch you guys play with uh, with Blonde Faith. So anyway, I love the connection between you, you and Dave Mason, and we'll get to that a little bit more. But, you know, for a lot of people, Bonnie, you're 
your legacy uh, is with Delaney and Bonnie, but it goes back earlier. And you've been sharing some stories with me. One moment in particular that I would love you to recount involves you. And you can talk a little bit about growing up, you know, what you listened to. But as you're singing in the Midwest, East St. Louis, the, you know, you're making a name for yourself. And then one night you're in a club and a couple of special guests sort of arrive like royalty. <laughs> So tell me that again, because that, that's that's a moment in your life that really really made a difference. Yes, it was. So I was working at the living room in Gaslight Square, and I believe I was working with Billy Peak, who is like Chuck Berry's protege. That's Chuck Berry's protege from Chuck Berry's own mouth, you know. And uh, so I know that the other guitar player at that time that I turned was grooming was. We called him. We called him Punk, and it was Herbie Sadler, and and he had talk, told Ike and Tina about me, and I did on stage. I did. It's going to work out fine, and that's another story. You get to how I got to be able to finally get that growl that I was looking for. You know, to sound an inkling like Tina, but I never tried to be Tina. I wanted to be an Ike. But anyway, so they came walking in, and it was like un. Real, I couldn't believe my eyes, and they had sat right at the center table, right in front. And Tina had on this mink and a big mink hat, and <laughs> and I had on this three-piece matching, you know, suit coat matching. Uh, oh God, they would just look marvelous. And she requested me to sing. It's going to work out fine in front of her. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> and I sang the dog doo-doo out of it <laughs> as well as I could, you know. Anyway, it endeared me to them, to say the least. Yeah. And uh, and from there, that, I mean, know, they, I they loved you. Like, yeah, you know, later yeah. on down the line, there came a time when they needed someone desperately because they were blindsided. And they they needed an eye cat. And, of course, I knew all the parts pretty good. I thought I did anyway till I got around for the head of Fields and Robbie Montgomery. What was it like? Okay, so Bonnie, they loved you, obviously. They they come back to you and they need somebody to fill in as an Iquette. What's it like when you hit the road as an Iquette? Because at that point, people need to realize, I mean, Ike and Tina Turner in the mid-60s, they were a hot act. I mean, they were they were really, um, you know, at that they point. Were a hot, they were a hot black act. Yeah. And there was color line there. Although it was invisible to me. Who knew that? I didn't know that stuff. So, you know, I did what I did all through my life because nobody told me I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and so that was that was that case, you know. But we ran into a lot of racism big time. And, what was uh, it like? But what is it like to be part of that entourage, to be on stage? I mean, I imagine for them it couldn't have been part, easy. That's what I say. The best part of it was, you know, like, at that time, the Chitlin circuit was the Chitlin circuit. You know, my, right. maybe Wayne Cochran got on it. You know, because he's really the white dude that like broke the color line for all the other you know artists to go out and sing, try to sing what they liked. You know what impressed us kids? We weren't trying to be black. We were trying to be good, and when we thought that was great, we wanted to be like that. You know, and nobody we didn't. Our generation didn't know it. It was like the racism was like something you didn't talk about. In my family, at least. I don't know. But um, I don't know. Okay, the thing is, at that time, it was James Brown, the famous Flames. 
And it was Ike and Tina Turner with the Hikettes. And so when, and they sent out spies to see each other's shows to see what they're doing. And then Flames were doing steps, boy. I can made them. I can't get to doing them dancing. Get to dancing, girls. You know they were in co- competition with each other, which was delightful. You know, but then I found out. I mean, James found out that there was a white I can't. So that's when immediately he hired Robert Wilson and Ronnie Grayson, drummer and bass player. They played on the good foot and all that funk. What did you learn, Bonnie, from, from being up there with Tina? I, I know you really admire her. What, what did you take away from that experience of being on the road with them for a while and being able to watch her up close like that? Well, I didn't, I didn't even know they were like wardrobe and change of clothes. And just, it was so professional. I've never seen anything like that. I've been a part of that. You know, I went from my church to bars. <laughs> I didn't get into the big time yet. It was... Uh, so, but I was so impressed by how rehearsal and and like he, we rehearsed in the in the car, you know, and I would have that thing that you blow on it, and it's a keyboard, mm-hmm. and it give us notes and it, what what to sing, and we would rehearse in the car, and it was just all rehearsal, show, wardrobe, change, go to bed, we got to leave early in the morning, da da da. But don't ever wear a do-rag outside. If you guys get off the bus, you got to take that rag off your hair, head. You know, you got to behave yourself. Act like ladies, ladies, ladies. Wow. Yeah. From, so from there, Bonnie, eventually, not long after that, you make your way out to Southern California and you're performing at a bowling alley out near Los Angeles International Airport. And you meet this, this guy named uh, Delaney. Well, we were headline. I was me. I was singing with another guy named Sam the Soul out of Detroit, white kid. And we had been working like uh, up in San Francisco a little bit with a disc jockey at that time. He had started him a new band, and we were fronting the band in a, in a way. And they were playing their gigs, and then they were back, helping back us up so we could get going. It was Sly and the Family Stone. So then we, Sam and I, went down to L.A. to do a gig. And the band was the Shin Dogs. And this bowling alley had like a bowling alley. It had a go-go room. You know, it had a, it was not like your average bowling alley. It was more like a casino type <laughs> showroom and stuff. It's right by the airport. Right. And uh, so anyway, they were the, they were the house band. And, uh, and what what I, happens when you meet? Tell tell me about when you meet because well, at that point Delaney Bramley. Delaney, I I went in there and the guy I went. Where's the band? The five piece band. He went. Well, the Delaney doesn't want to back any chick singers. And I went. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you say this is a shin dog? Yeah, they, they backed Donna Lauren. Man, you better. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I went livid. How could they dare say they weren't going to back me? <laughs> I can't believe it. I was full of myself. I was young, you know. And uh, and so Sam, I just said, I'm going to take the opening band, which was a trio, which wound up to be uh, Chris Etheridge, uh, the Burrito Brothers, parts of the Burrito Brothers, and Don, uh-huh. Don Preston, and them were all the Shin Dogs. 
Um, and, the, and the Shindog, so people don't know, that was the TV house band on the, on the TV show Shindig that uh, right. performed, which became very well known as well. Um, and, yeah, and Delaney they were Bramlett. a monster band. It was a great band. It, I wouldn't play with them. I took the trio and they, you know, later became, well, Chris, that was Burrito Brothers. And then we ran into Grandma. Anyway, we did three weeks when I, when I, they had to follow me. Anyway. And so and, instead of, I didn't realize that at that time, Delaney was bringing in everybody. He was bringing in Leon. He was bringing Snuff Garrett. He was bringing everybody. Where do you hear this girl? That kind of thing. You know, and Bobby Keys and Carl Riddle, they were all playing with Gary Lewis and the Playboys at the time. Everybody was ready to play. And I brought rhythm and blues to the table. I brought the horn band. You know what I mean? Me and Sam were the duet. We were playing with Sly and the Family Stone. Mm. And I'm Amazing. from East St. Louis where we have horns and Hammond B3 organs. And at that point in time, everybody was doing four-piece bands trying to be the Beatles and, wow. you know, making more money because you didn't have to pay a horn section. <laughs> <laughs> and all my background singers and me were totally out of work. My horn players, we were so out. I just, I just didn't want to hear about the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and Delaney connect, obviously. And and how long is it? Magic. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, because again, is it true that you're married literally within seven days or so? Of, yes, of, it's of true. Meeting? Seven and, days. You know, don't do that, people. Please, <laughs> that's, that's a mistake. <laughs> well, Even but, for us. but but really. musically at that point, I mean, obviously it wasn't because you, you hit the ground running, you formed this act, and and it soon was after like, that, it was like something. I got, I hate to interrupt you, but it was like yeah. something that neither one of us really had control over. When we uh-huh. sang together, it was absolute magic, and there was no doubt that we should do this. There was right. no doubt in either one of, that I should stop everything I'm doing. He should stop everything. He's doing, and we should do it. It was it that just, obvious. It was just like it was God-ish to us, both of us. It was so spiritual. I mean, we were just, we were beyond in love. It was, you know, and it was, we sang, and every, oh, God, we planned our entire lives within that first week. <laughs> Well, not not long after that, you're you're down in Memphis recording at Stacks, right? And I mean, that's a whole other whirlwind because once word gets out of this band you've created, it's uh, it, <laughs> people are really attracted to it, right? And I think absolutely, that you're the- yeah. We we've gone up to Leon's and, and we were trying to record at that time. I guess Delaney was doing some other stuff with, with Leon, Leon Russell, and so mm-hmm. they all stopped what they were doing and started off with Delaney and Bonnie. And Don Nix is friendly on Don Nix, the great Don Nix, you know. And uh, he took our tapes that we were doing with Leon to Stax. And they signed us, <laughs> thinking we were a black group. Because <laughs> <laughs> they signed us over the phone. And you were the first white act on Stax, is that right? Well, we were not, but we were the first. We outed Stax. Stax was supposed to be an all-black <laughs> band. And Booker T and the MGs were integrated. Right. But Duck Dunn and Steve Cropper were white. Right, Jim right. Stewart, that owns the label, is white. <laughs> but they, were, they didn't put their pictures on the, 
the Green Onions album because they didn't want anybody to know. They wanted to be a black label. <laughs> and here comes Delaney and I, Pinky. Pinky and Pinkette. <laughs> pregnant. I'm pregnant and white. <laughs> wow. And, but you create this album that makes so much noise and, and gets attention oh. left and right. I mean, automatically. With Steve Cropper and uh-huh. Duck Dunn and yeah. Bonnie, He's how does your life change at the time? You know, well, Bonnie, what's it like for you to come? You're this, you know, small town girl. You find yourself in LA, then you're in Memphis. You make this record. What's it like for you when that record comes out? You're back living in LA. You start playing shows. I mean, this is where your life really, really enters a whole different phase. You have a new baby at home, little girl at home um, that you're raising uh, in California. What's it like for you at this time? where you're making music, you've, you know, you've married this guy who you knew for seven days, but you've created this band that's attracting attention from the likes of Eric Clapton, George Harrison. I mean, automatically, everybody loves Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. Well, it's got to be a heady moment for you back then. And you're singing, you're becoming this, you know, you and at that time, Janis Joplin, obviously, Grace Slick. You're, you're the voices of that generation, in, in effect. And it happens so quickly for you, doesn't it? It does, and, and, but I I knew that, and so did Delaney. We knew that was going to happen. We knew that. We just didn't know uh, how it was going to happen. Uh, we didn't know that it was going to be like that huge, that fast, you know. But we knew we knew we were bad, I ain't no doubt, man. And we knew that in the garage before we even played a gig. We were monsters. <laughs> And we're young, so we have that kind of bulletproof, you know. We just went for it, man. And and we knew that live couldn't nobody touch us at that time. And they were scared Mm -hmm. of us. (laughs) Right, right. We were gunslingers, you know what I mean? How does it happen? You know, in 69, we get back to Dave Mason. When he comes back, he joins your band. And soon after that, um, Eric Clapton is well aware of, of you and, and Delaney. And he wants to take you out opening on the Big Blind Faith tour in the summer of 69. Do you know how that happens? How word reaches England and how all of a sudden Clapton yeah. is, is so into you? Well, how does George that- Her- Grand Parsons brought George Harrison down to Snoopy's Opera House. We were playing. And uh-huh. Graham had told us, like for a week, okay, George, I'm going to bring him to the club. So then it didn't happen, and then it didn't happen. <laughs> Graham, shut up. You're going to start And so this, this, I'm bringing him, and I mean it. Okay, and see, Delaney and Bonnie and Friends were called Delaney and Bonnie and Friends because we had three drummers, two different keyboard players, <laughs> and you didn't know who was going to play that night because... They were trying. To, we were trying to eat, you know. So they had other gigs, and but you knew somebody would show up, right? Just, just on the reputation, sure. So we just called it Anne Friends because who knew? Uh, and so, sure enough, there's George, and he taped it on a little cassette. He taped our set, took it back to England, played it for Eric, and That's Clapton freaks out, and Frat Clapton that hears cl- that, and Clapton just lost it. And Delaney, bless his heart. I mean, if you could see him. Because he's doing, he none of them, Leon wasn't playing like he was playing in his everyday gig, you know what I mean? They were doing Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Delaney was singing with Jackie DeShannon, and I don't know, they weren't anywhere close to the blues and gospel and rocking your right. socks off, man. 
and we when it all and need, none of us were really Sam and I were the closest I think because Sly man I'm, is a monster and Delaney was a monster too only he was like to me caged you know what I mean he didn't know what to right. do with himself and the, the shin dogs were done well that was kind of like it has a break and let me tell you something when Delaney and I got together it it was like to watch him. It was the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. It's like he just sprouted huge eagle wings and just took off flapping. Amazing. He had all um, that in there. I mean, all of that was in there. It's just he didn't have any way to let it out. Wow. You know, Bonnie, as, as this is going on, I think what's amazing um People may not be aware of that. So Clapton, he's forming a super group called Blind Faith. And he, yeah. wa- he, he, he hears the tape from George Harrison. He wants you guys to tour with him. Uh, and, and he does that. But, but I love you've described this. And Dave Mason was telling me as well that on the tour, which is going to be a big arena tour, you're playing a brand new Madison Square Garden the first night, yeah. all these amazing shows. And we'll get to that. But, but what's fascinating is the tour progresses. Clapton all of a sudden is way more into what he's hearing Delaney and Bonnie playing than he is Blind Faith. And he starts riding on your bus and pl- hanging out with you. Do you he's, remember? He's playing with us. He's playing tambourine. <laughs> <laughs> on stage. He's just to on be stage. in the band. He's playing tambourine. He's playing tambourine. He just wants to be in the band. So bad. And I, mean, I got to tell you something. Blind Faith was a monster on these creation, musical creations they did was, it was incredible, except for not next to us. It wasn't, it was boring. (laughs) I'm sorry, Blind Faith, but dude, really, you know, uh, we just were incredible. And Eric just, and Rick Gretz, same thing. He was with Eric and Rick. Yeah, right, right, right. And Steve Winwood can't figure out what's going on and why Clapton is riding on your band bus because he wants to jam with you and Delaney and Dave Mason. And he's like becoming part of the band. But Bonnie, what do you remember? Something really crazy happens on the first night of the tour. Matt sold out Madison Square Garden, one of the most anticipated shows of, uh, at that point in rock history. And you, you take the stage to open up. Uh, what happens when you guys hit the stage at the brand new garden? Yes. And it's our turn, and the freaking power went off. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, and here, and so Delaney just turned around. I mean, didn't miss a beat. None of us did. I didn't, see, this is what how we communicated this well. None of us missed a beat. Delaney turned around, got his acoustic guitar. Rita, we all went around and stood around and pulled our mic, center mic, and, and, and I don't know why, because but we sang a cappella with the, his, I mean, not a cappella, because we no mics. Right, and right. And him acoustic guitar. Incredible. And just, it was phenomenal. And, you know, of course, the power came on before our song was over, but nobody used the mics. We'd no, we just finished the song. And then we and started f- the show. Delaney, I'm telling you, we... I stood there. I didn't know what to do. Power went off. <laughs> Amazing. Bonnie, that tour, 
that tour goes around the United States. You're, you're making, I mean, the band is just killing it. If you read the reviews from that year and 1969, you know, musically, it's a huge deal. It's the year of Woodstock. We mentioned um, the men landing on the moon. You've got Charles Manson. You've got Altamont. It's a, it's a, it's a really crazy year, but for Delaney and Bonnie, you finish up this tour and then you go over to England in, in late 1969 with the same band and Dave Mason. And now, uh, George Harrison, he wants to get in on the act as well and, and hit the road with you too. It isn't enough that Clapton's in there. Now you've got George Harrison who wants to, to join up too, right? Well, you got to understand that the, the Beatles had split up for all right. intense purposes, right? John was off with Yoko and that, they're musicians, man. They're just, they're from Liverpool. They're just regular dudes and they're out of work. I don't care who they are. They ain't playing. And here's a monster American band and yep. they're the Beatles so they can get in. You know what I mean? They can get the in and they want to play <laughs> with us. That's normal. And if we didn't ask them, nobody would ask them because they were the Beatles. That's why, you know, want to know why they play because we asked them, do you want to play, bro? Right, yeah, he wants right. to play. He's about to play in his freaking britches. This band <laughs> has been split up. You know, he wanted to play. Yeah, you're right. Really At the end of the day, they're musicians, right? Because you don't get to do things. People are afraid of you. Right, right, right. Well, well, there's some footage out there. If people want to look up on YouTube, some incredible footage of, of you all playing I think in Amsterdam or Sweden or someplace where you can see the band in all its glory. Bobby Keys, Jim Price, a band that soon is going to get you know, split up into other, again, you, you've mentioned to me, it was almost like boot camp. I mean, Delaney and Bonnie and Friends was the training ground where other bands could say, hey, that's what we want. We want that guy yeah, and everything. Absolutely. But think, and Delaney's a natural teacher. He's, he, he's a teacher yeah. because mm -hmm. he expects more. He knows you're capable of doing a whole lot more than you know you are. You can ask mm -hmm. any musician. He, he's a taskmaster, really hard. I think right. that they all left better than they, they when, that they came to him. And they didn't Bonnie, know they I, were that good. I want to give a phone number out here. I don't, I don't know that I want to stop our conversation, but if someone's listening and would like to ask Bonnie a question, the toll-free number is 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Bonnie, out of these relationships on the road, something really magical happens with Eric Clapton that continues happening. And when it comes time for him to develop his solo career, uh, you, you and Delaney are really involved in that. And, and I think without Delaney, I don't know that Clapton would have had the solo career he had. What do you remember about that transition of Clapton becoming a solo artist? He was, uh, he was, he, he was done. He didn't want to be the guy to get tired. That embarrassed him. You know what I mean? He was done. He, he did. He just was really humble, mm -hmm. empty, uh, you know, when I mean, when he came to to stay with us, I remember he was taking a nap on the couch. And I could walk in one day, and he had a hole in his sock, and his toe was sticking out. That's Eric Clapton, and he has a hole in his sock, but his toe was moving. Like he was thinking of the song. You could see it. You could see him dreaming because <laughs> his toe was just dabbing through that hole in his sock, and that's how vulnerable that. Hope you guys get that, because he was just that little human being. Yeah. He was Ricky. They call him Amazing. Ricky at home. You know? Hey, Bonnie, and, on that uh, note, 
We have a quick commercial break. Hold that thought, though, because that, that really is a picture you're painting there. I want to hang on to that. My guest is the incredible Bonnie Bramlett. I'm Chris Epting. This is The Moment, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, telling and frivolous. I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover, more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Every Saturday morning, listen for the Superstar Sports Talk Block on Voice America Variety. We've got the best programs. If you want to talk football, hunting, outdoors, racing, and more, the weekends belong to sports. And you'll find it every Saturday beginning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll hear from the players, owners, experts, and fans from around the world. It's the Saturday Superstar Sports Talk Block. Wow, that's a mouthful. And it's only on the Voice America Variety. Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. I am here with my fantastic guest, Bonnie Bramlett, just a legendary female vocalist. She has sang with everybody. She's revered by all the greats. She, she really is a living legend. And she, Bonnie, that what you were just painting before the break, that picture of Clapton crashed on your couch, hole in his sock, and you saw him there just asleep for what he was, an artist <laughs> an artist dreaming about a song. It's really something. It had to be. Uh, I, want, but I want to take a phone call here. We have uh, caller Bob in California. Bob, are you there? I am here. Bob, what's your question? First of all, thank you for calling. What, what is your question for Bonnie Bramlin? Well, a very hey, quick comment first. Bonnie, when you talked about the power going out at Madison Square Garden and everybody just knowing what to do immediately. I saw you guys play at the University of Virginia in October of 1970. So that was a little past your heyday. But what impressed me was just how tight that entire band was. But my question is, you've played with so many rock, blues, R&B artists. Are there any that you haven't performed with that you wish you could share the stage with? either as a backup singer or, or perhaps duet or co-lead? Oh, man, I could, if I, if I had a minute, I could probably make a list, but right off the top of my head, Aaron Neville. I would mm-hmm. really love to sing with Aaron Neville. Yeah. Um, we got to get, 
get the word to him, I guess. Huh? I mean, I think sometimes uh, in life it's just a matter of making people aware of things, you know? Sure. And so many, I have been blessed to be able to work with a lot of artists. And there's a well, lot of the thing. Uh, you know, Bonnie, talent we, out there. Yeah, you, I mean, so we're talking, obviously, when, when Eric Clapton's solo career uh, grows as a result of Delaney producing it, you guys helping him write and sing and, and really get him going. I mean, you can, I think when you listen to Clapton sing, it's obvious that he was, uh, you know, getting coached by Delaney in a lot of ways, and, and he's acknowledged as much. And and again, but but Delaney and Bonnie, it's, it's kind of short-lived, right? It's sort of a shooting star band because within just a couple of years, You've got, um, you know, it sort of gets disbanded. They go, certain guys go off to the Stones, you know, Joe Cocker's, yeah. you know, Mad Dogs thing. Well, but, but, you know, and, and business is business, I guess. And I don't know, but we thought we could do it all. It was a, a great dream of ours, you know, that we could be married. And have, and we we're lucky because I married the Bramlett family. I married, married Delaney and Mamaw and Uncle Johnny and... All of my nieces and nephews. Mm. And if not for them taking, my kids never had a babysitter. Their grandma was there always, our uh-huh. family. And that was such a blessing. We were able to, everything came so together for us to do that. Our dream really came true so far. But the the rest of it, and I talk about it more in the book, is what, what happened, happened. It was a lot of really poor choices and and things like that. But the dream itself was that we could be married and have a family and go just be huge and do our music. And that was our dream. And, and you know, reap what the benefits of that, have a happy home for all of have the Bramlett Estates, our entire family. Well, mm-hmm. our dream didn't come true for us, but it did come true. And my wonderful friends... Susan Tedeschi and Derek Trucks mm-hmm. have made our dream come true. Yeah, they really are kind of a model for that. And aside from I, just well, being... Was, I could see that see it, the dream wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. We blew it, you know, by making poor choices and uh, everything that's going on. But what well, can I say, you, you know? Well, after you break up, I mean, again, it's it's a tumultuous, um, you know, very well-documented thing. You know, there's actually a tour that you did right near the end where it was the train, the famous train tour across Canada, right? With a really yeah. incredible thing. There was a film made about it with the Grateful Dead and, and the band and, and Janis Joplin. What was your relationship with Janis like? Because you're both, you know, at that point, you know, very notable, very respected, really two of the really foremost female American voices at that point. What was your take on her, and, and how well did you know Janis Joplin? Well, see, when, I, when you say artists like Janis and I both are really, really open, I mean, we are vulnerable, we open, we stand there naked in front of the crowd, if you will, you know, cause, right. and there weren't that many people working from that level. Yeah, right, we were right. we were deep, both of us, and and young and uh, unaware of how vulnerable, really. But we recognized each other right away, and she clung to me. She made me her big sister. She clung to me. She defended me, like in that interview. As a matter of fact, yesterday Becca and I were talking, and uh, and uh, there's some artists that haven't been able to have children or chose not to or whatever. 
and they think how they think, you know, if you want to be in show business, you ought to not have kids, and on and on, and very opinionated about that. And and uh, Janice wasn't like that at all. She would she talked about me looking. You pay some attention to her. She's the one. She left her had family behind. She's given all of it up for you, and on and on. And you know, I'm going. Well, not really. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. But as I look at Janice, Janice was uh, that uh, those people, the San Francisco crowd of of people were different from the Southern California crowd, I guess. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, she obviously, I mean, you, you you were together on that tour, and I know that you spent some time with her just on the train, and, and hopefully when, uh, you know, all of your stories come out, I know there are so many about these people that we'll be able to unpack and, and share with people. But from there, I mean, after the breakup of the band, you know, you're still busy. People know you as, as, as again, you have such a fan base at that point. You're singing on a lot of different records. I mean, right out of the gate. You're singing with, with, with Carly Simon. But, the, but going back, Bonnie, there's one story we didn't get to. In late 69, when you're performing out in the Valley, this is after the Blind Faith tour, out at a club, uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, I guess, see you performing. And they really like you. And they've got a session set up in L.A. in a couple of nights. And, and they ask, I guess, Delaney about whether or not you'd be able to go in and record something with them, right? Yeah, I think they, actually, I think it was more like Jimmy talked to David Annerley. Uh-huh. And they, like, approached Delaney with it. Uh-huh. And what and, happened? Uh, well, I went went down there to do it, and uh, I did it. You know, did not, I, they just said, sing whatever you want to sing. So I sang, loud, I screamed it anyway. And they this loved the, it and everything. Obviously, this is the session for Give Me Shelter on the Let It Bleed yes, album. Give Me Shelter. And so they let me write that part. I just made it up as they played their what they had. I sang whatever came off the top of my head. Um, and I don't know what happened, really. I can't tell you. But Delaney had a row with somebody, hmm. and we left. And so Delaney gave then Mary Clayton's number and Mary Clayton came in and sang what I sang. Just basically did what you had done. They just played her. Yeah. What, um, what you had done. And I mean, it's, you know, your, your life has so many of these moments where you're there, you're in the moment when these things are happening. Hang you know? your and, name in. <laughs> but it's true. Almost ain't enough, man. But, just but it, about there. Yeah, but then again, a lot of other things do happen. And and later on in the you know, 70s... But I don't you know, know where there is, Chris. But, you know, see, everything that happened one thing, I don't feel like I, oh, you know what? Jelani and I had this little Laurel and Hardy thing going on, you know, and we'll <laughs> discuss it after we get gone. You know, that if one of us walks, the other one walks too. And I was right. wrapped up as being loyal. Yeah. I didn't yeah. realize that was giving shelter and oh my God. <laughs> I mean, but, I wish I could make it like that, but it wasn't like that. Bless my heart. See, I, I have to look at my past and go, well, God bless your little heart. <laughs> <laughs> that, might, that might be a I good just book didn't title. I not know any better. What? That might be a good book title. God bless your little heart. God bless your little heart. 
Bonnie, when you, in the 70s, as it goes on, again, you develop some other really great relationships musically with Stephen Stills, with the Allman Brothers. I mean, oh, you know, people forget things again. like Crazy Love. I mean, you became this kind of solo force of nature where you could go in and become part of a band and really bring something incredible to, to people who were already kind of household, you know, living legend names like Stephen Stills, like the Almonds. What was that yeah. like for you? I mean, even as like they called you the Almond Sister, how was that experience of, of playing with those guys and being, you know, the presence that you were on the road with the Almonds? Well, the whole, the whole Southern rock experience for me was like amazing, of course, because I was coming home and I was wounded. And they said, come on, come on, Bonnie, get on home, come on here where we love you. You need to come on back here where we love you. Get out of Hollywood. They're eating you alive. (laughs) Leave. And so I did. And I came to Capricorn Records, which is Phil Walden and Frank Fenter. And there's a a whole long how we got from there to there story that's going to be in my book. And I think Mm -hmm. it's quite interesting. But, um, yeah, I healed. I I was really beat up, pretty beat up by then. Uh, but I just, well, the only thing I could do is just start to sing. Mm-hmm. So I sang with everybody. I mean, like the first band is, I brought the Average White Band to the country, and that was my first band. Then the second one was Little Feet. <laughs> and uh, we went on tour with uh, with uh, Little Feet uh, opening up. And then I when I came on, Little Feet stayed playing. And I brought the horns, watched 103rd Street Blues Band, Orange Jackson. <laughs> and my background singer's on, and we did our show. It was wow. monstrous. Lowell wow. George is just a monster. Ah! And, of course, Sam Clayton and Kenny Gradney was playing with him at that time. And Sam and Kenny was with the second Delaney and Bonnie and Friends attempt. Mm-hmm. But remember, the prophecy of that first album blows my mind because it's Delaney and Bonnie and Friends except no substitute. And then, how's that? Yeah, wow. yeah. that's amazing. Except no substitute. And you know what? I never did. I, I never did. I didn't go out there and try to do a Delaney and Bonnie and Friends show. And that's pretty much why I was singing with just everybody. What were some I of the sessions? With an, I couldn't sing only you know and I know with somebody else. Which, by the way, we got to mention, it's another connect the dots with Dave Mason. Only you know and I know. Obviously, yeah, that's Dave what he Mason brought too. to the table for us. Yeah, other than did. his marvelous self, you know, right? His amazing <laughs> guitar playing and all. But that song, which was on his uh, classic album Alone Together, becomes a Delaney and Bonnie hit. You know, lo and behold, and you. Well, wait a minute! Brought... It was a Delaney and Bonnie, and then he cut Alone Together after. Right, right. He right. He brought it to you, and then it was on his solo album after that. But but I'm saying that it became a hit for you guys, and it was you know a defining mm-hmm. moment for you guys, and and something that made uh, just a nice connection again with Dave Mason. I think I think you and Dave have always had sort of a nice musical kinship, and have done always, uh, always. Is, yeah. Bonnie, what are some of the sessions? Prince. What are some of the? Yes, he is. He remains a prince to this day. <laughs> what are some of the? Uh, <laughs> some of the sessions that you did that stand out that were most memorable um, with other artists in the after oh, the Earl Scruggs reviews, the Earl Scruggs yeah. reviews. Cause I mean, that was like, Oh, Alvin Lee, Buffy St. Marie, Tracy Nelson, uh, Linda Ronstadt, you know, uh, <laughs> Oh my God. Just everybody was on it. 
Mm-hmm. And it was at that point in time just a wonderful thing. I needed that really bad. That yeah. was like a band aid for me right there. What about when you and Stephen Stills? I love Stills, that one. That's a huge one. When you and Stephen Stills get together, you go to Cuba and perform um, really before it was a thing to do, this idea of going into forbidden places and playing. No, nobody um, had done that in 20 years. Not yeah, it was a big deal. And, and, and a bunch of you yeah. went, what do you remember from that? I think that was in 1979. What do you remember from going to Cuba with Stills and, and who all else was there? And you have a funny Billy Joel story too from that time, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, because of, because of the earlier time, you know, Billy Joel earlier on at Fillmore East to come to pitch some songs to Delaney and I. And I guess Delaney was with Dave Mason and maybe Dwayne Ellman up there. And and so Rita and I went downstairs from the days there to Fillmore East, yeah, uh, to hear these songs. And this guy starts playing these songs. And I went, are you, why do you want somebody else to do them? You should be doing these songs. See, I didn't know how the how songwriters and all that pitching and all that went. I, are you kidding me? Why would you ever want somebody else to do that song? You should do it. You're really good. Okay. You're, you know, you do those songs, you're going to be a big star, buddy. Don't you fool yourself. Yeah, me and Rita both were giving him the lecture on and on. Fast forward, what, 15 years or so? I don't know how many. When you're having a good time, who counts? Uh <laughs> And we're in Havana, Cuba. Here's Billy Joel. He's just humongous, right? He goes yes, to Cuba. Yeah, he's all, on that. He he does those shows he's with on you the down show. there. So we're all all the artists are sitting in this holding thing at big tables, you know, like a lunchroom or so. It's why I don't know. It's a bunch of red tape. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, here's Billy Joel comes walking up, and he's all little. You know, looking at Rita and I, and Rita and I are together, and David, we both said, did we tell you? We told you so. Did we tell you so or what? <laughs> amazing. Just amazing. And you were telling yeah, me Yeah, and then, we- of course, me and Jacko Pastorius, and, well, see, earlier in my career as well, and I'll tell you more about that, too, uh, Joe Zawinu, when I was like 19, he wrote my first charts for me. I was singing with Cannonball and Matt Adderley. <laughs> And so Joe's Avenue at that time has weather report. Of course, he remembered. And Jocko, he said, you got to meet Jack. So Jocko and I hit it off. Like, are you kidding me? He's like my brother. He's like my long lost twin brother. Wow. He's just nuts. And so am I. <laughs> and I get it. <laughs> Bonnie, when you come back I, from Cuba, when you come back from Cuba with Stephen Stills, you're, you're feeling, you described to me in, a, in another conversation that you felt a, a real surge of American pride because you realize all of a sudden you can appreciate your freedoms a lot more, right? I mean, it was a, an eye-opener for you to be playing down there. It was. It, it, what was the eye-opener mostly was how scared Chocolate Perry was, our bass player, and Joey of the drummer and bass player with Steven Stills because we were, we were on a tarmac for like five hours in that waiting for the Russians so we could take off and come back home. Wow. I, it was scary. You couldn't go, like I had to have an armed guard take me uh, to Steven Stills' room so he can hand me a bottle of shampoo out the door <laughs> because if you're caught into a room with when you're when you're not married to him, it's the firing squad. <laughs> it's the death penalty, okay? Oh my god. And Andrew 
Andrew <laughs> had this whole talk with everybody. See, I flew last. I came in on a private plane, and I had these two MiG fighters uh, <laughs> escort me in. Because they came in on the big plane all together, and Andrew right. Luck said, said to him, uh, don't get any trouble, don't take any drugs there or get in any trouble at all, because there's nothing we can do to help you if you do. Wow. Wow. So, you know, it was heavy duty. And we did more with music in two days than they could do with politics in 20 years. It was amazing. They loved and then it, huh? it was a, it's top secret. Then now nobody releases it. So you guys didn't even know we did it till just right now. Yeah, I was going to say that did not, when it happened in 1979, that tour of Cuba, it was not really reported. There was no press about it. There was no, no one was da, taking da, da, credit da, da, da. for it. What's yeah. that about? Yeah, that very interesting. Because that was a time as well where that was the same year, I think, that the No Nukes concerts were going. There were, there were political shows that were going on then, but your tour of Cuba was really off the radar. Off the charts, and we brought the, literally, uh, brought the Eric Caravan back with us. Mm-hmm. And um, that, and there was a couple of guys in that band that didn't see their mom. They were brothers, and they hadn't seen their mom in 20 years since the embargo because she had come to New York to visit her sister, mm-hmm. and it happened, and they, she couldn't come back. And wow. they were just babies. And so now they're playing in the band, and this is all so dramatic to me. Are you kidding? I am just sobbing there's not involved i mean i really really <laughs> it was so dramatic to reunite these two grown men with their mother wow. i'm telling you i lost it i, I totally lost it if i never had anything to do with anything good in my life i am satisfied with that moment i'm serious well, you come back from there, and we're not going to tell the whole story, but but a lot of people uh, may be familiar with you. You're in Columbus, <laughs> I believe, Columbus, Ohio, and you're you're just back from Cuba, and you're playing a show, you know, stateside, and there's another band playing in Columbus that night called Elvis Costello and the Attractions, and, <laughs> and <laughs> you both wind up in this bar later that night, and there may have been a little alcohol involved at some point. Well, there's the actually... There wasn't for me because I was in my first year of sobriety. Oh, okay. Well, and, okay. So, and there for was him. a big press conference down because we did the Cuban thing. Right. And Elvis was staying at the same hotel. So the press conference was with the Cuban band and, and like Chet Flippo, Rolling Stone. He's right. married, you know, to uh, Martha, Martha Hume, who is the melody maker and every press music paper in the world was there and so Mike Finnegan and I are upstairs it's Sean Finnegan's birthday and I'm not I don't want to go down there really I, you know people make things out of it and I'm in my first year of sobriety so I'm I'm trying to 12 step Mike Finnegan and his wife Candy and I did by the way Mike Finnegan the great keyboard player yes yes and uh so anyway, I get the call up to Ellis Costello's downstairs. The PR people want you to come down and meet him and little. And I don't know who he is, so I call home and I say, "Who's Elvis Costello?" <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, "He's really good. He sounds he 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 just killed the Palomino. They're still talking about him. He just brought the house down. He blah blah blah, and he plays like Chuck Berry, and he calls himself Elvis." And, 
da 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 ain't really his name, but da 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 that's all I heard was he blew them away at Palmyra. So when I go downstairs to meet him, I go and I go, boy, they're still talking about you at the Palomino. You blew their minds, but he just says, F the Palomino. <laughs> <laughs> and they just went to hell in a handbag. After well, okay, I, we got to save that. We got to save because. Can I just say something? Yeah, can of I course. Just say something right quick? I have been asked on every interview I've ever done, I think, since then. Uh, the, the Elvis Costello story, and I have not be told it because, not because I said no. It's because I asked the interviewer every time. Elvis Costello is just a genius to me, just incredible, incredible artist, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty good. Do you really want us to go down in history for a bar brawl? <laughs> and well, you know what? No one's ever, ever proceeded after that we laugh and move on well you know what bonnie i'll tell you what the, the the story is obviously legendary what happened but people don't know the full story and i really think that you know the the chance for us to sit down and and, and tell your story and tell the whole story then the, the world can finally hear it all i think the great sure. news is that El, elvis circled back with you and there's a ton of respect between the both of you and he yeah. acknowledged you in his book. And, you know, look, 1979 was a long time ago and people were very different and things were crazier. And you grow up and you, you know, you wake up and, and you realize sometimes you just make mistakes. Mouth, he goes, I deserved at least a slap in the face. At least I, I deserved that. I'm so <laughs> you well, know what? And I, and, and I was glad he said that because, you know what? I didn't punch him for crying out loud. I'm a woman. I slapped his face. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that distinction. That's that right there clarifies the historic record. So, hey, Bonnie, listen, he we're gonna have to wrap. It. He, he didn't hit me back. Amen. Well, there, listen, like I said, the, I think that story. Look, I, Bonnie, I can't believe how much the time flew by here. We're gonna let's leave that story there. That's something people right. will enjoy in your book sooner than later. But Bonnie, I just want to thank you. We, it's funny, we spend an hour. We don't even scratch the surface. We're gonna have to do another one of these hours and get into a lot more stuff. But I just want to thank you for taking the time and chatting with me. You are a wonderful storyteller and obviously a musical legend. And it was a privilege to have you on today. Privilege to be me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm so glad. Hey, listen, <laughs> thanks, Chris, so much. And everybody out there, looking forward to talking to you more. All right. Bonnie Brown was my guest. I'm Chris Subjing. This has been The Moment. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for The Moment. Be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.